Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello everyone, this is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Reagan Grossman. She is an expert at selling luxury. Reagan, welcome to the program. Hi, Umar. Thanks so much for having me. I've got a client. They call Smythe Jewelers. And one of the lead people there was telling me, you know, we get these new salespeople coming in and they're so nervous in selling. And then one day they end up making a $1,000 sale. And then after that, they can do that easily. And then the next step is 5000 10000 50000 So people have hangups around money. So you were training people how to sell luxury. How did you do that? One of the first things you have to do is get their buy-in, that they see the value in what they are selling. When I first started in the luxury hotel world, Mm -hmm. I had to sell a Coke for $8. Oh my God. I remember thinking, how am I going to do that? But my training was very extensive and they explained to me that the level of service we provide and all of the extras that go along with this um, and the value of that elevated cost is in the level of service. Yes. So it was really easily explained to me, much like I'm sure the example that you gave, you know, hotels have a toilet, a bed, a sink, a window. And so did my hotel. But why was I getting a triple rate premium on that? And it was because a lot of the level of service. Partially that, but also when I go into a Four Seasons, uh, it's a totally different experience. Not only the service, but just the amenities and the bed is really, really nice compared to... I remember when we first moved to the US, my wife was American and I'm a Canadian and I've been hearing these commercials for Motel 6. It was Tombow Debt. And I said, absolutely. While we're driving across country, we have to stay at a Motel 6. And when we stayed in one, it was not as the same level of quality as the Four Seasons. And my wife was quite upset. So how do you... Tell me about the first time you had to sell something, a luxury item, where you kind of went gulp. Like, I can't believe I am charging this much for this product. What started right away. I mean, I had a crash course in, you have to remember, I was 20 nothing years old coming out of college eating ramen noodles for four four years. And all of a sudden, I was going to sell that same, maybe not ramen noodles, but something of that nature for a, a huge price. I had sticker shock myself. But again, it went back to the training that I received. And one of the big things that Four Seasons talks about is consistency. And I continue to preach that as well. You know, it's not just Four Seasons, it's any any high-end car or jewelry or any of that stuff, the reason those companies have that reputation is because their product or service that they provide is consistently superior. And it's really important for salespeople selling those things to also be consistently superior. You know, it's really easy for a salesperson to have a good day or a good sales pattern or process. But to be in a company that expected that from you every single time you touched a client, every single day, every time you open your mouth was really important. And that was where my training began. So once I 
really started drinking the Kool-Aid, it became quite easy, to be honest with you, to, to make those sales and to not bat an eye when quoting a lot of those prices. So you've probably had some disciples that you were training other people coming into the company and some of them became rock stars and some of them reached a plateau but didn't go beyond it and some of them probably washed out. So tell me about one of your rock stars. Like what was that journey like for them? Well, the again, the training started with getting to know the product. I always say that there are three things that you have to do to be good in sales. You have to believe in what you're selling. You have to be mm-hmm. very knowledgeable about it. And that's just the bells and whistles. That's usually where kind of the baseline of sales starts. And then you have to be excited to share that. And when you work for a company that is innovative or has cutting edge, and I, I mean that in a sense of, you know, really luxury items they can get their hands on and things like that, you can get your salespeople really excited. So I had... I've had sellers on both ends, but to have a seller come from maybe a mid-tier or select service hotel into this and really get excited about now what they have access to and the things that they can sell to their clients, those are the people that rise to the occasion. Unfortunately, I've had other sellers that have been groomed in that lower tier market. Yes. And they're positioned to sell based on price and that's it. And they train their sellers we position ourselves to sell. We want to be the lowest in our tier. We want to be, you know, if they quote a competitor and you can come off the price. And I knew that that would be a challenge for a seller that was on our team that would constantly come with, I need a lower price. I need a lower price. I need a lower price because that's not the business model of any high end product or service. So if I was in a group of people and I asked them, you know, tell me about your first negative memory around money and people are going to go, oh yeah, I remember I was doing da da da. My grandmother said. So a lot of times we have beliefs around money and a history with it in the past. And so when we come into selling luxury goods and charging a premium price for a great product, sometimes when the customer pushes back, people that have hangups around money are more likely to shy away or give a discount. So how do we uh, make allowances for that when we're training people to sell luxury items? Because we are human beings and uh, our beliefs around money sometimes are well hidden, but the results of it kind of come out in our negotiations. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the old adage that you get what you pay for. And I know that sounds very quite simple, but that's where with the salesperson, you start that training of the value of this elevated cost is in the service that we're providing. It's the intangibles. It's having somebody answer an unsaid request. It's anticipating needs. It's doing all of those things. So when a client pushes back and says, well, I can get this for X amount of dollars. I can get this for $100 less over at this hotel or this competitor. You have to explain that they're not getting that. They're not getting apples to apples. Yes, you're getting a bed and a bar. That's the mechanics of it. That's the mechanics of it. But I'm sure if you trained 10 reps, some of them are going to embrace it and go, I got it. I'm going. And other people are still going to struggle with it for a while. So I'm more interested in how you help those people that struggled with it kind of really embrace it and embody it. Again, it, it, it goes back to the buy-in. They're, they have to believe in what they're selling. And 
you're right. There are salespeople that, that don't ever get there. They don't believe in it because they personally would never spend the money on it. And I feel like I failed as a leader if they continue to feel that way because it's my job to get them to see the value in what they're selling. I, I have to make my team believe that if they could afford this, that they would spend money on it, that it's that right. important, that the the experience that we're creating is that important. So I hear what you're saying, you know, how, how do I change kind of how they're hardwired? But mm-hmm. Go ahead. It, it is a constant reminder of putting all the value on what it is, taking the blinders off of, you know, just selling a hotel or just selling a watch or just selling a car and seeing the experience that, that it provides and the service that it provides. So do you have a, if you check back to your memory banks, do you have a particular person in mind that was struggling with that price value thing? And then all of a sudden it was like a, Ta-da! and they saw the light and it, they had that transformation. Do you have one of those in your memory bank? You know, probably. <laughs> I had a salesperson one time that was one of the, the training tools that we use is to try to get to yes. You always want to get to yes with the client because we never want to say, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Four Seasons and any other company that is a luxury company, they try to get to yes with their client. And this particular person had a hard time turning one into the other. Yes. And, and also realizing that you have clients willing to maybe pay for some of the things that they're not used to seeing people pay for. So I got a call from this salesperson's client that said, we want to have a luau around the pool and we want to dump 60 tons of sand around the pool. And your sales manager is telling me that we can't do that. Now in the sales manager's defense, generally we can't do that, but there's no policy written in a book that says we can't put 60 tons of sand around a pool. What it says is, you know, we can't make the area private and we can't do this and we can't do that. And this salesperson had the blinders on. So my, my, explanation to this person was, how do we get to yes? Well, engineering said it's going to kill the grass. Okay. Well, let's talk to engineering. Let's see how much that costs to get that resodded. And well, we can't do it because it's going to um, interfere with all these other guests. Okay. Well, there's 60 rooms around the pool. So if they, maybe they purchase all the rooms, they rent all those rooms around the pool. So now we're trying to get to a point where it may seem astronomical to a lot of people, mm-hmm. but you can go back to the client and say, yes, we can do this for X. And she did this and the client said, great, we'll take it. And, you know, including the cleanup fee and all of those things. And I think that was her aha moment Nice of kind of, hey, this is going to be fun, actually, because when people think things up, I just get to figure out how to get to yes and how we can actually how do we create. That. Absolutely, I think that's. Thank you for sharing that because oftentimes people don't know till they go through the experience of it. And I think what you really modeled well was okay. How can we make that happen? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working with a client out on the West Coast, and we did a management team retreat for the salespeople and the other divisions. And three months later, I was asking the salespeople, so what's the difference now? And they said, the difference is when we came back from a customer and said the customer wants this special thing done, all we heard from uh, finance and the tech support people and the manufacturing people is like, oh, we can't do that. And it says, the transformation has been, they go, huh. How can we make that happen? It's a totally different question and it's collaborative. And that's what leadership is, is getting people to kind of realize, hey, we're in the business of pleasing people and let's make a spectacular event. Exactly. I mean, as long as clients aren't asking you to do something illegal or anything like that, it or makes too illegal. A, a sales, was a joke. It makes a sales job really fun to try to please your client, which is what you're there for. You know, Absolutely. you're not, this is not a, a lot of people I think have a misconception about sales that it's kind of a gotcha profession, you know, and that's actually not what it is. They're on your team. Absolutely. And I think, uh, so tell me uh, in your journey, tell me about one of those learning experiences. So you've reached a certain level of performance and excellence, like one of those things where it was like uh, an epiphany for you that helped you get to the next level. Hmm. Didn't think you'd have to do a lot of thinking on this podcast, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to think of an epiphany in the sense of the kind of salesperson that I wanted to be. Yeah, tell me about that. Just like what we, what I said, unfortunately, the the profession gets a bad rap a lot of times of salespeople saying, how much money do you have and how much can I get from you? You know, that kind of thing. And I will say that my natural personality is competitive and go get it and see if you can win and do well. Sales was a really good fit for me because you constantly reach a goal and then there are other little kicker goals. And then you, it it was a constant reach, 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 higher, higher. And I really got into that. Unfortunately, my first sales experience in hotels, I was selling event space, which meant I predominantly sold weddings and social events Mm -hmm. or mitzvahs, fundraisers, that kind of thing. The reason I say unfortunately is because that is a very emotional purchase. And a lot of times they were up against a salesperson who was a competitor and wanted to close that contract because I could get to the next one and the next goal and a revenue goal. So... I, it was this learning curve for me. I had a wonderful boss, which was, I was fortunate about because someone in my profession at that time should have gone out and said, Oh, how did you two meet? Let me see the ring. Where are you going mm-hmm. on your husband? Instead, I would come out and lead with, So are you guys paying for this or are your parents? <laughs> you know, it was very like transactional. Yes. I need to get in the meat potatoes of this whole thing. And I did have a situation where I, was looking back on it, I feel like I was very abrupt and and really unfortunate. A, a lady came in, a very nice woman without her fiance. She came in, she said, I've always wanted to get married here. And I thought, oh, that's good to hear. So I knew that this was something she was passionate about this place. And I put the pressure on as hard as I could because I was at a, I'm sure some quarterly budget, whatever. And I got her to sign a contract for $30,000 food and beverage minimum on the spot. And I mean, I went in with this date, maybe not be available tomorrow. It's one of our most 
you know, highly sought after dates. I paraded the director of finance out there making this out to be like it, like she needed to decide today or it would be the end of the world. And she did. So fast forward, she ended up coming back around and saying that she wanted her money back. So I got called into the director's office and, and actually I wasn't being um, reprimanded because they appreciated as a for-profit company that I was able to get somebody over the hurdle as quickly as I could. Unfortunately, she was having buyer's remorse. She wanted her fiance to be there. He needed to see the place. And she kind of really backed out of it, wanted her deposit back. And I was horrified, to be honest with you. I felt like I did her a disservice. You know, I was very selfish in trying to get to a goal for myself and I kind of steamrolled the process. And this is her wedding. I remember when I got married and went through all of that. And I decided at that point that that was not the kind of seller that I wanted to be. I still want to be competitive and reach the goal, but I'm there to please the client. And they need to come out of this transaction happy, not just, I don't need to just come out with money on my end, you know? Thank you so much for being transparent and sharing that with us because, you know, that's the truth, right? And a lot mm -hmm. of people need to hear that because it's so easy to get into the quarterly numbers and winning the award and doing that kind of stuff. And sometimes salespeople kind of get a bad rap. I was doing a consulting gig for a catering company and they do a lot of weddings. And that's what made me think of it as you were telling that story. And on the second day of the retreat, I asked the VP of sales, so a lead comes in, then what happens? He says, oh, we take a look at the lead and we figure out who's going to take it. I said, okay, then what happens? Then that person reaches out to them. Then what happens? They book an appointment and they come in to kind of see our facility. And then by the time we were finished, it was like a 60, 70 step process from going from initial lead to getting a referral for somebody else's wedding. And about two months later, I was in the kitchen of that place and everybody hates the salespeople. And one of the people in the kitchen was dissing the salespeople and the top chef went, no, you have no idea how tough their job is because everyone gets a sense that, you know, we're just fancy dinners and fancy meals and it's so easy, but sales is hard. And a lot of times we make it look effortless, but uh, it's a tough gig, a lovely gig, but a tough one. Well, it is. And in a... In an environment like a hotel, you have your operations people and you have your sales and marketing people. And it, it it's the old adage, we sell the dream and they service the nightmare. Yes. But <laughs> that is not how it should be. And I got the best advice ever. I started in this business as an assistant in the department. And the first thing my mentor said to me was, you're an assistant in the sales department. You will call every department in this hotel and need something and they will never call you and need anything. Now, the, the grand scheme of things, they need us to make sales. But as an assistant, I wasn't even responsible of that. Basically, she was saying to me, you need to be nice and play nice with everyone because we're, we're all in it together. It's one team, one dream. But you've got to make sure you're going to call and you're going to ask for rooms to be ready quicker. And you're going to ask for things to be fixed. And you're going to ask for laundry to be done. You're going to ask for food to be made. And all of these things we do for the clients and those departments are never going to call you and say, we need something from you. So I, I always relay that message. And I always try to remember that as a salesperson that yes, my job is important and it, it needs to be done for the hotel collectively. But if they didn't all perform, there would be nothing for me to sell. 
Absolutely. And I think you kind of highlight a problem for a lot of organizations is it tends to be like, here's the organization and here's the sales team as a separate thing. And what we need to realize is that we're one company with one goal and how do we all work together? And I think if we build up those collaborative relationships, because a lot of times salespeople can set up the expectations in a different way that'll make everybody look amazing. And so I think we need everybody to come together and say, okay, how do we improve the customer experience? What do we need to do? Correct. And it needs to look at it from all sides because there's a, if you're talking about a product, I, I, I try to be careful about just talking about hotels because this is applicable to any industry. Oh, absolutely. When you're talking about a, a pharmaceutical drug of some sort of it. You've got manufacturing, you've got customer service, you have your sales team, and it's their job to all work together because even though the salespeople are the ones, they present it, they go out and find the clients and you know the paperwork. The people that provide you with the details to be able to sell are the manufacturers. Mm -hmm. They are the customer service people. They're the people that know it inside and out. And they're the ones that you need to have on speed dial when clients have questions and those kinds of things. So you're right. A team approach is paramount in any company. So I'm not sure what it was at uh, Four Seasons, but I think at Ritz-Carlton, any employee had the ability to spend $2,000 to make a customer happy. Doesn't happen every day, but if you go to corporations here in Maryland and go to a VP, oftentimes they do not have the authority to make a $2,000 purchase. And they do it specifically that if a customer's got a problem, something got damaged with their clothing, the maid can say, we're going to take care of that right now. No taking it up the ladder, which I think is pretty amazing. Regan, what would be uh, two pieces of advice you would give salespeople out there that are selling luxury uh, that would help them do better? Two pieces of advice. I don't know. That, I don't know if I could narrow it down to two. <laughs> so pick one. What would be the top one? Which will make it even tougher. But what pops up? Whatever one right. that is. Um, I would say. I, I probably would have to go back to consistency. The sales process is pretty cut and dry. I mean, people put bells and whistles on it and do all kinds of things, but you prospect, you follow up with clients, you pitch to them, you follow through, you close. I mean, we do that over and over again. And it's the quality and consistency of how you do that that separates the good from the great. And when I say great, I, I'm, not just talking about luxury, but those tend to be the people that excel because you, you, it's easy to get somebody to buy a $50 hotel room, but try to get them to buy a $1,200 hotel room. And the way to do that is with consistency. They yes. need to know every time you call them, you are going to answer. They also need to know that you are going to go to the depths of the earth to make happen what they want to make happen. So I think that would probably be my bit of advice is when you think that you're having a bad day and you don't want to follow up with these clients and it's just easier to tell them, no, it's against our policy or it's easier to, you know, turn, turn it down or give it to somebody else. Remember that every day it has to be the stamina of making it 
checking every single one of the boxes. Brilliant. Regan, thank you so much for being on the show. I learned a lot. And once again, I uh, applaud you on your transparency of just sharing. Sometimes we learn more from the mistakes than we do from the wins. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 